Good morning. Today's reading is from Psalm 19. If you know it, sing along. I mean, don't sing. Don't. Just recite it along in your minds. Okay. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. And in them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run his race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also are they than honey from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from all of my secret faults. Hold back, hold back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I will be blameless, and I will be innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. I get, oh, there we go. All right, good morning. Oh, it's uh, so great to be here with you all uh, this morning and get some, spend some time here uh, this weekend. Uh, Cole, thank you for the invite and the opportunity uh, to be here. It's a real privilege to be here and get to open uh, God's Word together. So this morning, I'm going to be taking some advice that I got from one of my professors in seminary. Uh, one of our preaching classes, one of our professors gave us some advice that if we ever got the opportunity to preach just a single sermon at a church, he gave us some advice on how to choose a passage. His advice was to preach on an obscure psalm. He said, if you ever get the advice to just fill a pulpit for one week, preach on an obscure psalm. And he gave us three reasons why. First, he said, it's unlikely that they'll have gone through the psalm that you choose, uh, choose recently. Right? There's 150 psalms, so it's probably not like they've gone through the one that you chose that recently. Second, most psalms are short enough where you can go through them all in one sermon. So you're not having to jump in the middle of a passage or stop too abruptly. And he said, third, you're also not going to wade into anything too theologically controversial in any of the psalms. And he said, that's a good rule of thumb to follow as well. Uh, so I thought that was some pretty good advice. So I'm going to take that advice this morning. So if you have your Bibles and haven't already, you can open them with me uh, to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm 19 is where we're going to be, and we're going to look at all 14 verses this morning. And uh, once you get there, as you're making your way there, if you want to hold your place, um, let's just take a moment and pray and commit this time to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have to gather this morning and glorify you by studying your word. Illuminate your word to us this morning. Give us ears to hear what you've revealed to us. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. In her book, The Business of Listening, author Diana Bonnet tells the story of a dispatcher for a large construction company who has radioed about sending trucks with materials to a certain location. 
The dispatcher was told to send eight trucks full of material to Portland, and so he quickly set the instructions for the trucks to deliver this material to Portland. The only problem was he was not listening completely, and he missed one very important word in the broadcast that he received. And as a result, he sent eight trucks full of material to Portland, Oregon, instead of Portland, Maine, as he was told. The story ends, eight trucks sent 3,000 miles away, $100,000 of company money lost, all because he was not listening completely. Listening is important, and listening completely is important. And that's exactly what our text, Psalm 19, is all about. It's about listening to God and listening completely to what he has said. I think it's been rightly said that if God has spoken, the most important thing we can do in life is to listen to what he has said. And I think most people would agree with that, regardless of what they believe about God, that if God has spoken, the most important thing we could do in life is to listen to what God has said. And Psalm 19 is a great reminder for us that God has spoken to us. And so listening to what God has said is of utmost importance in our lives. We want to listen to him completely, not missing a single word that he has said. So as we go through this psalm, we'll see that God speaks to us in three different ways. If you're a note taker, this is my outline I'm going to give you this morning, so you can get ready to write this down. Uh, there's three ways that is revealed in this passage that God speaks to us. First, God speaks to us in the worlds around us, in the heavens, and we see that in verses 1 through 6. Second, we see that God speaks to us in the word before us, the Bible, and we see that in verses 7 through 11. And lastly, we see that God speaks to us in the witness within us, his Holy Spirit. We see that in verses 12 through 14. So God speaks to us in the worlds around us, the word before us, and the witness within us. We see all three of those present in this psalm. So we're going to look at how God reveals himself to us in this way, how he speaks to us in these three different ways, and then we'll conclude with some application. So let's look together at these first six verses and see how God reveals himself to us in the worlds around us. Uh, Psalm 19 is a psalm of David. I'll read these first six verses. They say, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and a circuit in the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So the opening verses of this psalm tell us that the most basic way that God speaks to us is in creation. And David specifically focuses on one aspect of creation, the heavens, the skies above us, the heavens above us, and how they speak on behalf of God to us. And so David is really focusing on the awe and wonder that we feel when we, we watch a sunset or watch a sunrise or look up at the night sky, that sense of awe and wonder. That's what David is tapping into here and how that points us towards God and how the skies speak on behalf of God to us. And verse 1 is really a summary of this entire section. It says that God has revealed himself to us in the heavens, that the heavens make God known to us. And the two words used here in these opening verses, they're a callback to Genesis chapter 1. When David says, the heavens declare the glory of God, that's the same term that's used in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And then the verse, that, or the word that David uses here in the second part of verse 1, the sky above proclaims his handiwork, that's the same word used in Genesis 1, 6 through 8. There it's often translated the firmament when God, when God separates the skies from the waters, but it's the same Hebrew term used here. So David is, is mirroring some terms used in Genesis 1 to show that creation ultimately points us back to the creator, uh, that God is the author of creation, and creation speaks on behalf of his existence. And this principle here is referred to by theologians as what is called general revelation, that God has made himself known generally to all people. That means no matter when a person lived, where a person lives, or what resources a person has available to them, all people can have a basic knowledge not only of God's existence, but of some of his attributes as well, his power, uh, the complexity of the universe points, points us to his omniscience. And so this principle of general revelation shows that all people have a basic knowledge of God's existence by simply looking up at the sky. There has to be an author of creation. Uh, verse 2 goes on to give us more specific information about how the heavens generally reveal God to us. It says, day to day the heavens pour out speech. And this Hebrew word, it literally means to overflow or to gush forth. So the heavens aren't just passively speaking about God's existence, they're actively speaking on behalf of God. They never stop speaking about their creator. In verses 3 and 4, we see an interesting play on words here as they connect back to verse 2. Again, verse 2 says that the heavens pour out speech or overflow speech, but then verse 3 says there is no speech, nor are there words. So verse 2 says that heaven never stops speaking about God, but then verse 3 says that there is no speech. So, so which is it? Is it speaking or is it not speaking? Well, what David's doing here is he's presenting a paradox. He's saying that although the heavens don't audibly speak, their message is understandable to us. Their voice is still heard. Uh, this has been called the wordless speech of creation, that even though we can't audibly hear creation speaking, we know exactly what message it is conveying. It's speaking on behalf of God to us. I like how the, the NET, the New English Translation, translates verses 3 and 4. It says this, there is no actual speech or word, nor is its voice literally heard, yet its voice still echoes throughout the earth, its words carry to the distant horizon. So this wordless speech of creation gives a clear message to all of us, to every person on earth, and the question is, are we listening to what the heavens are saying? And to answer this question, uh, we see it at the end of verse 4. David, David focuses on one particular aspect of creation. He focuses on the sun. And I think David specifically mentions the sun here for a few reasons. First, it's obviously it's the most prominent feature in the sky to us. Uh, whenever we look at the sky, it's the most prominent feature. Another reason that he focuses on the sun is because the sun was often worshipped as a deity at this point in time by other pagan nations. And so David is saying, no, the sun isn't worthy of our worship. The one who created the sun is worthy of our worship. And this leads, though, to the third reason that I think David mentions the sun here, that the sun is an example of what it looks like to listen to God. Uh, verses 5 and 6 talk about how the sun rises, using this metaphor of a tent, a bridegroom coming out of his tent or his chamber, and a strong man running its course, and then it sets day after day, and it's rising and then it's setting, and it's providing heat to the earth. The sun is doing exactly what God created it to do. Or put another way, the sun always listens to God. It does exactly what it is created to do. So what I think David is doing here is by pointing to the sun, showing that it always does what it is supposed to do. It always listens to God. It's turning that question back on us. Are we doing what we were created to do? Are we listening to God? So the sun is a constant reminder for us. And this is a point of application I don't want us to miss. 
that as we observe the sun and as we feel its heat, and here in the summer in Oklahoma, we definitely feel its heat, it's a reminder to us day after day that the sun does exactly what God created it to do. So the next time you're out on the lake and come back a little bit sunburned, rather than immediately getting frustrated by that, you can think, you know what, by the sun providing heat to the earth, it's doing what it was supposed to do. We can't get mad at it for doing what God created it to do. And then the question comes back to us, am I doing what God created me to do? So in these opening verses, it tells us that God speaks to us through the worlds around us, and listening to what they are saying can lead to a genuine relationship with the Creator. From the 1950s until the time of his death in 2010, Alan Sandage ranked as one of the world's most influential and productive astronomers. In fact, some would say he was the most accomplished astronomer during this time. He received his PhD in 1953 from the California Institute of Technology, and as a graduate student, he served as the assistant to the leading observational cosmologist, Edwin Hubble. Hubble taught Sandage the observing techniques that enabled the young astronomer to gather the highest quality data that the then current technology allowed. During his early years and extending into his graduate studies, Sandage had been exposed to first to Judaism and then to Mormonism, but he rejected both and adopted an atheistic worldview. However, his atheism was challenged as he continued to study the complexities of the universe. This led him on a 30-year journey to explore the world's religious systems, ultimately concluding in 1980 that the God of the Bible is the one true God, and what the Bible says about him is true. Later in his life, he was quoted as saying, without God, nothing makes sense. But on his faith journey from a skeptical scientist to a believer, Sandage wrote, it was my science that drove me to the conclusion that the world is much more complicated than can be explained by science. It's only through the supernatural that I can understand the mystery of existence. So observing God's general revelation, whether it's looking up into the night sky from your front porch or studying remote galaxies through a space telescope, can lead us to a genuine relationship with the Creator. We can simply listen to what creation says about God. So the worlds around us speak on behalf of God. The next way that this psalm reveals God's speech to us is through the word before us, through Scripture. Let's pick back up and read verses 7 through 11. They read, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Well, in this section of verses, David focuses on how God speaks to us through his written word. And as creation speaks to us, and that's referred to as general revelation, we can put scripture in the category of what is called special revelation, that God reveals more about himself and his specific characteristics and attributes through his word. It's a special revelation that reveals God to us more specifically. And for David, as he is writing this, this would have been the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. That was a scripture that was available to David at this time. It's also called the law. In fact, each of the words that David uses in this section to describe uh, God's word, the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments, uh, these were all terms used in the Torah to describe its teachings. So David is using this familiar vocab from the Torah, from his scripture, to describe its contents and its teachings. And I want to point out something that David does here in this section, that starting in verse 7, 
he uses a different name for God than he used in verse 1. Going back to verse 1, it says, "...the heavens declare the glory of God." But now in verse 7, David says the law of the Lord is perfect. David uses two different names for God in this one psalm. And so there's some questions as to why David switches up his vocab and uses these different terms for God. Uh, Some more liberal, skeptical scholars might look at this and say that, well, this points to two different authors. Different vocab points to different authors. So this might have been two different authors who wrote this, and maybe this was just compiled together at one point into one psalm later. But I think this kind of thinking and this kind of reasoning underestimates an author's ability to do things in their writings. I think it makes the most sense that this is one author, David, who is intentionally using two different terms to reveal two different truths about God to us. Because these two terms reveal different things about God's nature and God's character. Uh, the term used for God in verse 1 is the word El, from which we get our word Elohim. And that speaks about God as a transcendent, powerful creator, how God is transcendent and is a powerful creator. But when David uses uh, the word Lord here in verse 7, it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the covenant name uh, of God for the people of Israel. And it speaks to God as a personal, loyal, covenant God. So as David shifts from talking about God's revelation in nature to us, he uses the name for God that's most appropriate for that. He uses the word El or Elohim there in verse 1. But now as he's talking about how God has specifically revealed himself through his word, he uses his covenant name to show his covenant loyalty, that he's a personal God to his people. He uses the word Yahweh. So in this section, we see David repeat a formula that communicates truths about the word of the Lord over and over. If you're a visual person, you can chart these out and line these out, uh, that here seven times in a row, uh, David uses the same formula where he has a noun, an adjective, and a verb, and kind of repeats it over and over again. Or put another way, he gives a name for God's word, a truth about God's word, and then a positive result that comes from following God's word. So a name, a truth, and a result. And so we see this uh, throughout these verses. And so I just want to go through each of these, and I really want to focus on the positive result. So in each of these, we see a positive result at the end. That's what I want to focus on. So the first of these here in verse 7, the first half of verse 7, says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So the first benefit or the first positive effect we see of listening to God's word is that it revives our soul. And this is an honest reminder that sometimes in the Christian life, we will need for our souls to be revived, that it's not bad to need some soul refreshment. Our souls will sometimes feel burdened and will need to be lifted back up. And this is telling us that the place that we should go when we need for our souls to be refreshed is to God's Word. It's not to a time of self-indulgence or a day of self-care necessarily. Uh, We should go to the Word of the Lord. And as it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, uh, this Hebrew word perfect, it really conveys the idea of completeness, that it's complete, that it's absolute to do what it says it's going to do. The law of the Lord is perfect, it's complete, it's adequate to meet our needs, to revive the soul. That should be the place that we should go for our souls to be revived. The second positive effect we see is that following the word of the Lord provides wisdom. Now, in my preparation for uh, this message, I came across a definition of wisdom that I love, and it's been on my mind ever since I came across it. It's from a Pastor John Piper, and he says this. It says, true wisdom, biblical wisdom, means making decisions that make sense in light of eternity. True wisdom means making decisions that make sense in light of eternity. That's what true wisdom is. It doesn't end at the grave. It's making decisions that make sense in light of eternity. So listening to God's word makes us wise, but that wisdom might look different than worldly wisdom. 
Uh, This wisdom might not make sense to people around us whose wisdom ends at the grave and is only on a horizontal perspective. That is, uh, spending your hard-earned vacation days from work to go on a mission trip or a service trip or giving some of your hard-earned money to help others who are struggling, that might not make a whole lot of sense to people around you who are only thinking on a horizontal perspective. But it does make sense in light of eternity, and those are wise decisions. So in listening to God's Word, we receive the ability to, to see the world from an eternal perspective and to make truly wise decisions in light of that perspective. Third, we see that listening to the precepts of the Lord cause the heart to rejoice in verse 8. And this is all about perspective. Listening to the precepts or the rules uh, contained in God's Word should lead the heart to rejoice. And so the Bible does contain precepts and rules and instructions. Now, that's not all it contains. Some people do treat the Bible as if it's just a rule book, and that's not the proper way to look at Scripture. But the Bible does contain rules and precepts for us to follow. And following them, it's all about perspective. Uh, Rather than the rules in the Bible leading us to feel restricted, causing us to miss out on the fun of life, the precepts of the Bible, they're for our own good so that we can live the way that God truly intended for us to live. And this should cause our heart to rejoice. Fourth, listening to the commandments of the Lord enlightens our eyes. This idea of our our eyes being enlightened, it's as if uh, we're lost in the world and we need a map or some directions to be able to get around. And that's what God's Word provides for us. It provides direction in a world where we can often feel otherwise lost. Fifth, listening to the Word of the Lord leads to enduring life. Now, it's interesting here in the uh, first part of verse 9, it says, the fear of the Lord is clean. In, in every one of the, the other verses here, the titles are much different. It says, the law of the Lord, testimony, precepts. And this term, fear of the Lord, it's kind of an odd title for Scripture, to call Bible, the, the Bible, the, the word of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Uh, and so why this is used is kind of stumped some people, but I like Warren Wearsby's explanation. He says, this is an unusual name for the scriptures, but it reminds us that we cannot learn from the word of God unless we show reverence and respect to the God of the word. So in showing reverence and respect to God and his word, it leads to an enduring eternal life. The eternal life is found in listening to the words of scripture in a proper relationship with the God of the word. And then lastly, listening to the rules of the Lord leads to righteous living. And this verse here, the last part of verse 9, it's kind of a summary of the entire section, that following God's word, listening to what God's word says, leads to righteous living. It says that you cannot live a righteous life apart from listening to God's word and following its commands. This means following God's word, believing that it's true, and following what it says. So David concludes this section by reflecting on the value of God's word. He says that God's words are more to be desired than gold, and they're sweeter also than honey. And David uses these two objects because gold was the most valuable substance at this time. Uh, Gold is still a valuable substance, but we do have things more valuable than gold. So if we wanted to modernize this a bit, we could say that it's more valuable than the nicest sports car or the highest trending stock at the time. Whatever is most valuable in our minds, uh, we see God's word is even more valuable than that. And he uses honey because honey was the sweetest substance at this time. Now, we have engineered even sweeter desserts than honey, so we can modernize this quite a bit. So to make this apply to you even more, if you want to take out honey from this section and insert whatever your favorite dessert is here, uh, you can do that to really make this come alive. Uh, For me, this would mean saying that God's word is sweeter than a Brahms brownie hot fudge sundae. 
Um, Whatever your favorite dessert is, just put it in there. And then ask yourself, do I see God's word as even sweeter than that? So the question for us after reading what David says here is, do we view God's word the same way? Do we see it as more valuable than the most precious thing we can imagine? Do we see it as sweeter than our favorite dessert? And if you would ask that question to yourself and honestly reflect and say, well, I'm not sure that I do. I think what David is inviting us into here, he says, well, then try listening to it more closely. And as you listen to it more closely, you'll see the benefits show up in your life and its value will increase. So that's the answer to this question that David poses. If you truly listen to God's word and you truly obey it, you'll see its rewards and its value will increase. Uh, One of my favorite examples of a person listening to God's word and allowing it to change their life comes from the life of St. Augustine. Augustine was born in 354, and although his mother Monica was a devout Christian, Augustine saw no value in following Christ or obeying the commands of Scripture in his life. Uh, He lived what we would call a hedonistic lifestyle, just seeking pleasure wherever he could find it, uh, doing what would make him most happy in the moment. But after some time of living this way, he realized the emptiness of this lifestyle. And so he began to explore the different philosophical systems that existed to find true meaning in life. And after some time of honest searching, he began to explore his mother's religion of Christianity. And he became intellectually convinced that Christianity was true. In his head, he totally rationalized that Christianity was true from an intellectual standpoint. But he held off on giving his life to Christ because he didn't want to follow Christianity's moral teachings. Now, he was consistent and he was honest. He said, I realize that in order to be a Christian, I have to devote myself fully to Christ, and I don't want to do that, or at least not yet, because I don't want to restrict my own happiness. Uh, But he was struggling with this, but one day in the year 386, when he was 32 years old, uh, he was outdoors in his garden, and he audibly heard the words, pick up and read, pick up and read. And so he thought this was the voice of God, and so he located a Bible and opened it. As he would learn later, this was actually the voice of some children playing a game nearby, and this was part of the, uh, something they were saying in their game, uh, but God was certainly speaking through them at that right time to get him to pick up his Bible. He opened it, and he read, the passage he read was Romans 13, 13 through 14, which says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. These words struck Augustine like an arrow to the heart. He took these words seriously. He actually listened to them, and his life was never the same. He went on to be one of the most influential Christian thinkers in church history, and it all started with a simple decision to listen to God's word. God's word has the power to change lives and add benefits to our lives. All we have to do is listen and listen completely to what it says. So we've seen God's revelation in the worlds around us. We've seen God's revelation in the word before us. And now we'll look briefly at God's revelation at the witness within us. And we see this in verses 12 through 14. They read, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In this final section, David reflects on what he's seen in the skies above him and the scriptures before him. And in his reflection, David acknowledges his own inability to keep God's command on his own. It leads to serious conviction in David's heart. So he asks for pardon from sin and power to overcome sin. 
Uh, One commentator I read on these verses stated this well. He said, as David meditated upon the heat of the sun and the light of God's perfect law, he realized the seriousness of his sin and saw God's grace as his only solution. He went on to write this, and this was very convicting for me. He said, how often do we miss these truths? When was the last time we were so greatly enjoying the heat of the sun that we were brought to the feet of the sun, S-O-N? And when was the last time that reading God's law and his testimony and his commandments led us to revere our Redeemer? What David is showing us here is a proper response to God's revealed messages in the skies and in the scripture, and that's recognizing our continued dependence upon him. Uh, What David does here in these verses is he meditates on the truths that he's heard from the skies and the scripture. He meditates, he allows them to sink in in his life, and he allows uh, God's spirit to make connections between what he has heard, what he has listened to, and his own life. And this idea of meditation, this term I just used, it's kind of been misunderstood as it relates to uh, Christianity. We think that's something that only uh, takes place in Eastern religions like Hinduism and Buddhism, things like meditation, uh, but not Christianity. But meditation is a spiritual discipline that allows us to internalize uh, God's revealed truths around us. And it's somewhat of a lost discipline in modern Christianity. Uh, This last November, I I attended a a conference, actually attended it with Cole, and uh, one of the lectures I went to at this conference was uh, from Dr. Joel Beakey. He's the president of Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. And in this lecture, he uh, was talking about the spiritual disciplines of the Puritans, the Puritans who had hearts on fire for the Lord and their spiritual disciplines, how they cultivated their affections. And one of the spiritual disciplines that he talked a lot about, how the Puritans practiced, was meditation. In his lecture, he said this, He said, we've lost the art of meditation. We've forgotten that a disciplined meditation on the scriptures helps us focus on God, for it involves our minds and as well as our hearts and our affections. And he went on to list two ways that meditating on scripture is beneficial. He said, first, meditation feeds faith. And he quoted the great Puritan thinker Thomas Manton, who said, faith is lean and ready to starve unless it be fed with continued meditation on the promises of God. As David says in Psalm 119, unless your law had been my delight, it would have perished in my affections. And then number two, he says, meditation enriches prayer. The Christian who meditates daily on the scriptures tastes the majesty of God, the bitterness of his own indwelling sin, and the riches of Christ to atone for him. And it's not likely that that person will be cold and dry in prayer. So meditating on the revealed truths of God in the skies and in the scriptures, it feeds our faith and it enriches our prayer life. And so it allows us to listen to God through this third way, the witness within us. But the Bible tells us that those who are in Christ were indwelt with the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit makes connections between what we hear from the skies and the scriptures to our own lives. The Holy Spirit facilitates this by convicting us, by leading us, and by interceding for us in prayer. So as we listen and respond to truths about God, the Spirit connects these to our lives. So it's important to listen to the Spirit as He guides us, leads us, and convicts us. So God speaks to us in the worlds around us, God speaks to us in the word before us, and God also speaks to us, those who are in Christ, through the witness within us, his Holy Spirit who leads us in our lives. So what I'd like to end with this morning is some specific application. And how I'd like for all of us to apply this to our lives this week is to spend some intentional time listening to God in all three of these ways. To listen to God and what he's saying in the skies above us, scripture before us, and the spirit within us. 
uh, to take some intentional time this week and spend it out in God's creation. And I, th- I can think of no better place that I've been to to, to apply this here than Carlton Landing. Um, such great opportunities to, to spend time outside observing God's creation. So I know we all might be doing that anyways, but I, I'd encourage you to spend some intentional time out in creation. Maybe looking at the sky. Maybe it's getting up one morning and watching the sunrise or sitting out on your back deck and, and watching the sunset or looking up into the starry night sky. To spend some intentional time out in creation with the sole purpose of just listening to what creation says about God. Psalm 19 tells us that creation never stops speaking about God. So to spend some intentional time listening to what it says. And then spend some intentional time in God's Word. Uh, Maybe it's this week, maybe it's coming back to Psalm 19 and rereading this with fresh eyes or spending some time elsewhere in the Psalms or as part of your Bible reading plan. Uh, But spend some intentional time in God's Word listening to what it says. And then before you conclude, spend some time meditating on what you have heard. Maybe just for five minutes to just sit and meditate and let it soak into your life. Again, for five minutes, that sounds a lot harder than it, or it is a lot harder than it actually sounds. It's been five minutes in quiet meditation. So that's how I would encourage all of us to apply this to our lives this week. Spend some intentional time out in God's creation. Spend some intentional time in God's word, and then spend some time in quiet meditation, allowing those truths to sink in and really listen to what God has said to you and how it applies to your own life. Allow the Spirit to make those connections to you in your life. But obviously, the most important way you can apply this text to your life is if you're here this morning and you've never listened to the most important message that God has communicated to us, the gospel message, to accept that. God has gone to great lengths to make himself known to us in the world around us, the word before us, and the witness within us. But God has also gone to great lengths uh, to redeem us and save us, coming to the earth in the person of Jesus to die for our sins. God has gone to great lengths to make himself known and to redeem us. And so listening to that most important message would be the most important thing you can do this morning if you've never done that. So I invite you as we're about to pray, if you've never placed your trust in Christ, you can do that by simply doing what David does here at the end of this psalm recognizing your own inadequacy uh, to come to him on your own, that you need someone else to do that, and accepting Jesus' payment on the cross for your sins. I'll close with this story. Before refrigerators, people used ice houses to preserve their food. Ice houses had thick walls, no windows, and a tightly fitted door. In winter, when streams and lakes were frozen, large blocks of ice were cut, hauled to the ice houses, and covered with sawdust. Often the ice would last well into the summer. One man lost a valuable watch while working in an ice house. He searched diligently for it, carefully raking through the sawdust, but couldn't find it. His fellow workers also looked, but their efforts also proved futile. A small boy who heard about the fruitless search slipped into the ice house during the noon hour and soon emerged with the watch. Amazed, the men asked him how he found it. Simple, the boy replied. I closed the door, laid down on the sawdust, and kept very still. Soon, I just heard the watch ticking. The story closes this way. Often the question is not whether God is speaking to us, but whether we are still and quiet enough to hear. Yes, Jesus assures us that our Heavenly Father always listens to us, but do we really listen to Him? Do we follow the instruction of the psalm to be still and know that I am God? So God has spoken to us, and the most important thing we can do in life is to listen to what He said, to stop, to slow down, and to listen completely to what He has said. Psalm 19 is a great reminder for us on how important it is to listen to God and how we can do that in our lives. So may it be our prayer this week that we can listen to God, we can listen carefully, and not miss a single word of what he says. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that your word is fixed in the heavens. We thank you that your word accomplishes its purposes and that we can take these truths and apply them to our lives. We pray that we will listen carefully to you and that it can be the sincere desire to echo the words of this psalm, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, you're our rock and our redeemer, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.